will know that you have been broken when you are not trusting in the flesh and to accomplish in the flesh what can only be accomplished through the anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh God, break me. Break me, God. Get my flesh out of the way, God, so that your Holy Spirit may flow fully through me. Today, I want us to pray, Lord, break me. Now, it takes courage to pray this prayer. That's why a lot of people don't pray the prayer, Lord, break me. Because they know what a dangerous prayer it is. But God is looking for some courageous people this morning. God is looking for some brave people, for some bold people this morning that would pray, Lord, break me. Break me. Because we've got to understand that God will never be able to do for us and through us what He wants to do for and through us until we allow Him to break us. Now, as I begin this morning, I want to begin talking about one of my favorite characters in the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Judges chapter 6. And we're going to look at some passages of Scripture in Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8. And in Judges chapter 6, 7, and 8, we find the story of a man by the name of Gideon. How many of you have ever heard of Gideon before? Surely, if you've been in church any amount of time at all, you know who Gideon is. And when you go to Judges chapter 6, you find that once again the nation of Israel has been disobedient to God. And because of their disobedience and because of their rebellion, God has allowed them to once again be oppressed. And this time he's allowed them to be oppressed by a nation called the Midianites. And the Midianites are so oppressing the people of God that they have found caves and they have dug holes trying to hide themselves from the Midianites because of the fear that they have of them. Not only that, every time they would plant their crops and it would be harvest time, the Midianites would come in and they would steal the crops and destroy the fields of the Israelites. And isn't that just like the enemy? He wants to steal the harvest. And this was going on. This had happened for a period of seven years. And then as the nation of Israel normally would do, they cried out to God in their oppression. And God heard their cry and God raised up a leader that would lead them out of their oppression and lead them to destroy the Midianites. And that man's name was Gideon. And we find that encounter that Gideon has with the Lord in Judges chapter 6 verse 12. It says that the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now there's a lot of people that believe that Gideon himself was hiding from the Midianites in fear. And that it was in that moment of fear that the Lord appeared to him. I used to believe that way, but after further studying this passage of Scripture, I don't necessarily believe that Gideon was hiding in fear. The rest of the nation of Israel was. They were in caves. They were in holes. They were hiding out of fear. But you've got Gideon out here in a wine vat where you would tread out grapes. 
But instead, he's got wheat in the wine vat. And out in the open, he is trying to protect this wheat from the Midianites. And so the Lord appears to him and says, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And and look at Gideon's response because I'm sure this is how we feel sometimes when it seems like everything in our world is going wrong and the Lord shows up and says, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Because listen to what Gideon said. Gideon replied and said, Well, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Now, deep down, Gideon understood why all of this was happening. But he said, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say that the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But notice what he said. But he said, the truth is now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Has anybody ever felt that way before, that the Lord had abandoned you and turned you over to your enemy, turned you over to your adversary? And that's where Gideon is. He can't figure this thing out. And notice that the Bible said that it was the angel of the Lord who appeared to him. And now he is questioning the presence of the Lord. He said, but now the Lord has abandoned us. But notice what happens in the very next scripture, verse 14. It says, then the Lord turned to him. Notice it doesn't identify him now as the angel of the Lord, but it's the Lord himself. So that angel of the Lord was actually a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. It is the angel of the Lord. And so the Lord speaks to him. But notice he doesn't give him any explanation to his issue that he had. He just simply identifies himself as the Lord. And evidently that's all Gideon needed. He recognized that this was more than just an angel. This was the Lord who was with him and that the Lord had not abandoned him. And the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Now next Sunday, we're going to talk about that prayer. Lord, send me. And the Lord says to Gideon, I'm going to send you. You are the one who is going to deliver my people out from under the thumb of oppression of the Midianites. Well, Gideon didn't feel like he was capable. He didn't feel like he had everything he needed to be the leader that God was calling him to be. But after being convinced by God, he then sets forth to do what it is that God is calling him to do. And he summons the nation of Israel and calls for men to join him in his effort to release the children of God from oppression of the Midianites. And when he gives that first initial summons, 32,000 men step forward and say, hey, we'll join forces with you. We'll be a part of this army to help our people get out from under their oppression. You've got to understand, though, there was 135,000 Midianites. There's 32,000 Israelites. They're already outnumbered four to one, the Israelites are. But then God speaks to Gideon and says to Gideon, you've got too many men. Now, don't you know if you'd been Gideon, you'd be like, God, what are you talking about? I'm already outnumbered four to one, and you want to tell me I've got too many men? And God said, yes, if I let you go with the number of 32,000, then the men are going to think it was their might and their power that accomplished this victory, and they're going to take credit for it rather than me getting the credit and rather than me getting the glory for it. So here's what the Lord told Gideon. He said, I want you to get up in front of that 32,000, and I want you to announce to them that everybody who is a afraid, 
those folks who are chickens can go home. And so he gets up and he says, those of you that are afraid in your heart, you can go home. 22,000 men walked away and went back to the comforts of their house and the comforts of their home. Now he's only left with 10,000 to go against 135,000. And guess what? The Lord said, you still have too many men. But God, I'm outnumbered 13 to 1. What do you mean? I've got too many men. And so the Lord says to him, I want you to take them down to a body of water. And he said, I want you to watch when they go to drink the water. And he said, those who lap water like a dog, he said, those are the ones that I'm going to choose to use to deliver my people from the oppression of Median. And guess how many men he ended up with? He ended up with 300 hundred men to go and do battle against 135,000 Midianites. And we pick up the story there. It says that Gideon divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn or a shofar and a clay jar with a torch in it. Now, you're already outnumbered 300 to 135,000. And then when you show up for duty, can you imagine if you enlisted for the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, and you show up and they give you your weapons, and these are the weapons they give you to fight with? That you've got a ram's horn, a shofar, you've got a clay pot with a torch in it, and that's your weapons? Well, that's what these 300 men received. All 300 of them got their own shofar, a clay jar with a torch in it. Then Gideon said to them, keep your eyes on me. Why? Because when they go down to the battlefield, if they would have seen how outnumbered they were, no doubt probably some of them would have gotten terrified. And some of them would have gotten fearful and begin to question whether or not this was really something that they wanted to do. But he said, keep your eyes on me. And he said, when I come to the edge of the camp of the Midianites, do just as I do. And as soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns. He said, blow your horns too, all around the entire camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. It was just after midnight. This sounds so much like the story of Paul and Silas when they were in the prison and around midnight at the changing of the guard, the Bible said Paul and Silas began to pray and to sing praises to the Lord. And you know what happened as a result of that. And then it says just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the immediate night camp. Suddenly, they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Now, what are we talking about this morning? We're praying, Lord, break me. And what was it that was on the inside of these clay jars? It was a torch. It was a light. And notice what happened. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands. And they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And then each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic shouting as they ran to escape. Now get this 300 men. The only weapons they have and they really were not weapons at all. But the weapons that they have are a shofar 
a clay pot with a torch on the inside of it. And Gideon says, when I give you the word, and when you see me blow my shofar, then I want you to blow your shofar. And then everybody at the same time, we're going to break our clay pots. And when we break our clay pots, the light within is going to go forth, and it's going to send the camp of the Midianites in such a panic. The Bible said they turned on one another. And the Midianites drew their swords on one another until there was not one Midianite left standing. And the children of God, all they had to do was go down on the battlefield and collect the spoils from that battle. Now here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that in this passage of Scripture, in this story, God is teaching us Zechariah chapter 4. It is not by might nor by power, but it's by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. God was trying to teach Gideon and his men that you cannot put your trust and your confidence in your flesh. I believe that's what the clay pots represented. It's not the clay pot that's anointed. It's not the clay pot that has any value to it. It's what's on the inside. And it's only when the clay pot has been broken that the light and the life and the presence and the power of God can come forth out of that vessel. You say, where do you get that from, Pastor? Go with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7. This is the Apostle Paul. And listen to what he says about us now that we are born again believers, now that we are followers of Jesus Christ, he said we now have this light shining in our hearts. You want me to tell you why I talk so much about being light? Because it's light that changes people's life. Jesus is the light of life. And He's the one who changes lives. He's the one who changes marriages. He's the one who changes communities. He's the one who changes families. Amen. He's the one who changes churches. And notice, we have this light shining in our hearts, talking about the presence of the Lord and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But He said, we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. He's describing every one of us. He's talking about our flesh, that we are made out of clay, that we are made out of dirt. And it's not the vessel that is valuable. That's what I loved about Gideon. I believe that Gideon was a humble man. I believe that Gideon understood if God does not intervene, there's no way, even if we have twice as many men as the Midianites, that if God does not intervene, there's no way that we're ever going to win this battle and get out from under the oppression of the Midianites. And Paul says, we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves, we're like fragile clay jars containing a great treasure. This makes it clear. Look at what he says, that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. And so Paul says, whatever Every one of us have got to do in order that the power of God can flow through our lives. Paul says we've got to be broken. The clay vessel, the clay pot has got to be broken so that the life and the power and the light that is within us, that which is valuable is on the inside of us. And the only way it can get out is when we get our flesh out of the way. When our vessel has been broken, amen, and then what is of value can come pouring 
pouring out. And that's what Paul says. He said, you got to be willing to say, Lord, break me. And Lord, Paul prayed that prayer. And as a result of praying that prayer, I want you to look what the scripture says about how the Lord broke him. He said, we are hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. Now back up again. Notice what he said. He said, we are pressed down. When you say, God, break me, you're giving God permission to press you. Just like that olive when it's pressed so that the anointing oil can come out of that olive. You're giving God permission to press you so that the anointing on the inside of you can ooze out of you. You're praying, Lord, press me. You're praying also. He said, we are perplexed. you got to be willing to be perplexed, hunted down. you got to be willing to be hunted down, knocked down. you got to be willing to be knocked down. But it's not something that God is allowing because He doesn't love you. It's something that God allows because He does love you. He's trying to get the flesh out of the way. He's trying to break the clay pot so that what is of value on the inside of you can come pouring out so that you can be a blessing to others. And Paul said, it is through our suffering, through our breaking, through this pressing that our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be seen. Listen, you will know that you've been broken when people don't see you, but they see the God in you. Amen? You will know that you have been broken when you are not trusting in the flesh and to accomplish in the flesh what can only be accomplished through the anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh God, break me. Break me, God. Get my flesh out of the way, God, so that your Holy Spirit may flow fully through me. Oh, somebody thank God for His Word. No, it's not a pleasant process. It's not. It's painful to be broken. Some of you have been wondering why has God allowed some of the things that He has allowed in your life? Why, why has some things happened in your marriage the way that they've happened in your family, the way that they've happened on your job, the way that they happened? God said, I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to break you. You prayed it. Break me. Now I'm going to break you. And I'm going to get your flesh out of the way. So that what's truly valuable can pour out and be a blessing to others. Now, when I was thinking about that, I was immediately taken to Mark chapter 14. This is a story that messes me up. I'm just going to tell you. You read about this encounter in Mark chapter 14, John chapter 12, and Matthew 26. There's another story very similar to it in Luke chapter 7. But the story in Luke chapter 7 is a completely different woman in a completely different set of circumstances than the story that we read about here in Mark 14, John 12, and Matthew 26. But the Bible tells us that Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. I guarantee you that if you would have walked with Jesus during the time that he was here on this earth, you would be shocked and surprised by whose houses he would go to. 
Ain't no religious folk going to go in the house of a man who used to be a leper. But Jesus, he goes into the house of a man who had previously been a leper. Now, now let, me, let me just tell you what's going on here. They're two days away from Passover. Two days away from when the whole process will begin that Jesus would suffer, bleed, die for our redemption. That's two days away. And, and Mark gives us this incident on the heels of that, that Jesus is at Bethany at the home of a man named Simon who had previously had leprosy. And while Jesus was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume. If you read this passage in John chapter 12 and Matthew 26, you discover that this woman is Mary, the brother of Lazarus. It's not the prostitute that's talked about in Luke chapter 7. But she is the sister of Lazarus. And she walks in and Jesus is eating in this home of Simon, previously a leper. And she has a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive. Everybody say expensive. expensive. Now guys, if you've ever bought perfume for your wife, you know there's some perfumes that can be really expensive. Unless you get it at TJ Maxx. <laughs> or Ross or Marshalls. You get the markdown version of it. But we know that there are some perfumes that can be expensive. Let me tell you how expensive this perfume was. It was worth one year's wages. It was very rare. It was very expensive. Now I want you to think about what you make in a year's time. Because that's what this woman gave to the Lord. And notice what it says, that she had this jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and it said that she broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. What did she do first? She broke the jar. And then what happened next? She poured the perfume over his head. Now, I had this little jar of cologne in my office this morning. I know this is not the best illustration. This is not such cheap cologne either. It's called Escape. And put it on, you probably do want to escape from me. <laughs> but you know, when we have expensive perfume, we don't use it all at one time, do we? We just have a, you know, we just little here, little there. And then we're going to save some more for tomorrow. And then we're going to save some for the next day. And then we're going to save some for the next day. Because it's expensive. You know, we got to ration it out wisely. This woman comes in with a jar worth a year's wages of perfume. But she doesn't just give him a little of herself. She doesn't just give him a little drop. But she breaks the jar. And she pours every bit of that rare, expensive perfume upon the Lord. 
Can I tell you, that's what He's looking for from us. He wants us completely broken. He wants everything we have. Not just a little of what we have to offer. Not just a drop of what we have to offer. And I don't think it's by coincidence that that, that, that Mark chooses to follow this story up with what happens next. Jesus has His last supper with His disciples. And it says that they were eating and Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take, eat, for this is my body. What is the body? It's that clay pot. It's that vessel. And Jesus said this bread, it represents my body which was broken for you. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. What did he do? He was broken and then his life was poured out. His life, he didn't just give us a little bit of what he had to offer. Jesus gave us everything that he had to offer. But first, he was broken. And after he was broken, then he was poured out. And notice what Luke tells us that Mark forgets to tell us. He said that he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I know that when we come together and we share in Holy Communion, I know that these elements represent the broken body of Jesus and the blood that He poured out for us on the cross. But listen, I believe that when we do this, that it's more than a ritual. Because notice what Jesus said. He said, do this. Do what? He said, I was broken and poured out. And He said, that's what I desire from every one of my followers. Don't just take the bread as though it's just symbolic of what Jesus did. Don't just take the cup as though it's just symbolic of the blood that was poured out. He said, no, do this in remembrance of me. I want you to do the same thing that I've done, but I want you to know that before what's valuable and what was it that was valuable in Jesus? It was his blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And once his body was broken, his blood didn't just drip out. His blood poured out. And as a result of that, every one of us that have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we have received the blessing of redemption. And we have received the blessing of salvation. But you cannot be a blessing until you have been broken. Oh, somebody help me here this morning. Hallelujah. So the big idea today, if you don't go home with anything else, go home with this. Life's greatest breakings often lead to God's greatest blessings. Because the more you allow Him to break you, the more that's going to come from you. So I want everybody in this room this morning to take your elements of communion. If you did not receive them, I want you to raise your hand 
And we've got some ushers that will bring the elements to you. And I hope that we have a completely different perspective as we go into this this morning. That we're not just taking the bread, reminding ourselves of something that Jesus did. And we're not just taking the cup, reminding us of the blood that he poured out. But that as we take these elements this morning, we're saying, God, just as your son was broken, break me. And just as his blood was poured out, Father, may your life, your light, your power flow out of me, pour out of me. I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me this morning in honor of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ who showed us the way. We follow His example. I want you just to take a moment before we do anything. I want you just to close your eyes. And I want you to focus on how broken he was and all that he poured out. Jesus gave it all. And he wants us to be broken in such a way that we leave nothing in reserve. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summit and Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summit and Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you. Hey everyone, I want to take a minute to invite you to our Celebrate Recovery services that happen every Tuesday night. The meal begins at 5.30 p.m. and the services begin at 6.30 p.m. 